You're listening to the First Six Notes podcast with Classroom Composers, where we dive into everything about teaching band and strings. From pedagogy to fundraising, we'll cover it all. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing successful music teachers, composers, admin, professional private studio teachers, and more to uncover and share their strategies for musical success. So grab a chair and stand and join the conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by the Quarter No Companion Big Bundle, your entire beginning band curriculum at your fingertips. This bundle includes level one of our customizable method book series for 18 instruments and a full-length conductor score, level one of our instrument-specific music theory book, level one of our simple rhythm drills, level one of our 77 sight-reading drills, and level one of our chorale book. You can find this and more on our Teachers Pay Teachers store, which can be found at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers. Welcome to the First Six Notes podcast, where we talk everything about teaching bands, strings, and music. My name is Kevin Hoff. And I'm Jessica Frank. And in today's episode, we are talking about the Quarter Note Companion. The Quarter Note Companion is a complete beginning band and strings method and curriculum. It includes a method book, a theory book, rhythm drills, sight reading, and chorales. We're going to spend an episode talking about this book in great detail to give listeners a bit more information about it. So before we jump into exactly what this whole thing entails and uh, kind of the nitty gritty of the curriculum, I just want to give a little bit of a background about how the Quarter Note Companion, how it came to be. So I began my career teaching middle school band and strings, and I've used a few different method books for my, for my beginner classes, and they all worked fairly well. I've used like Essential Elements, Accent on Achievement, the Yamaha book, and I always would tend to change them each year, and I used them for about maybe the first half of the year until the kids could play music well enough so that they could transition to sheet music. My results were decent, and uh, my my classes would score excellence at their music festivals, which um, in California is the second highest score, superior being the highest score. The parents were happy, uh, the kids were happy, but what we really struggled with is we really struggled with sight reading. So in 2016, I changed jobs and I began teaching pull-out elementary band and strings for the first time, and I would only see these kids two days a week for 30 minutes each time. I used a district-recommended method book, which was uh, Sound Innovations at the time, and I uh, encountered two serious problems with this method book, and I should say this is going to be kind of similar with most, most method books, not just Sound Innovations, but most method books. And the first problem was students had to purchase the method books, which seems kind of silly because the method book is $10, but in today's day and age, this is a problem, especially in California, just because everything seems to be provided for students. I mean, I have math teachers complain about that, that they have to give like, the students pencils. The kids, like the parents don't even send the kids with pencils anymore. So everything's free, you know, like, so the thought of the kids having to purchase a $10 method book was not going to happen for most students. And I'd have maybe 20% of the class actually buy the book. And so I try and do a lesson and, you know, four kids would have the book. And so I'd be like, all right, uh, I guess I have to make photocopies of the book, which is a pain and uh, illegal also, you know, so that made it a problem. The second thing is that the book moved at too fast of a pace for the students with limited class time. And we had a really hard time getting past the first two pages. In fact, 
We could only really play the first four pitches of the D scale for our winter concert, and the band classes were struggling with hot cross buns. So it was slow moving, kids were quitting, because we just weren't really moving at a pace. And so I knew that I needed to change. So then in comes Jessica, who at the same time in 2016 was working for an instructional, or excuse me, working as an instructional assistant at a very large and successful music district. And so she encountered uh, this, this really good method. So Jessica, if you want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, they use a method that they created themselves that helped students with their pacing and just kind of spelt it out a little more easier so that students weren't overwhelmed with everything that traditional method books present right away and everything was presented in an easy to read manner and for students to understand right away. So they created a, a rope book so that students can first see the notes on the page without the staff and all these definitions and things getting in the way so they could understand the basics of the instrument. And uh, this is for strings, right? Yes. Yeah. So like, because I came and observed her class one day and I was just looking at this rope book on the on these on these string kids stand and I was like, wow, this is like, this is simple. Like, this is amazing. And the kids were all playing well. And just comparing it to my class, which was not going well at all at the time. Like I knew that I needed to do something about that and try and copy some of the stuff that they were doing. And they also saw students, it was a pull-out program. So for a similar amount of minutes a week, you know, it was, it was comparable to what you were doing, Kevin. Yeah, right, right, right. So basically what I did is I um, I took what they were doing, I re-engineered their process, and I applied them to my specific teaching situation. But most importantly, what I did is I backwards planned the entire school year. Because I knew that I was only seeing these kids for two days a week. And there's only, I don't know, maybe 30 weeks of the school year. So that equates to roughly 60 lessons. So I actually planned out every single lesson, which, you know, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're freaking out, like, there's only a certain number of them. And for elementary pullout, it was about 60. I mean, obviously, if you're teaching middle school periods every single day, that's a little different. But I backwards planned. And the next year, I created my own strings method book based on that backwards planning and had dramatically better results. Actually, in, in fact, I'd say that my fourth graders that I tried on because those were the first year of instructions, they played better than the fifth graders did, just because this book was tailored to them. It really pushed them a lot faster, but it kept everything appropriate. So I created this first version of the Corno Companion, which was for strings. A year later, I created this for my beginning band classes, and I had similar results with that. And so I, I shared this with a colleague who was telling me that he was teaching pull-out beginning band, didn't really know what to do, and uh, he wasn't able to buy method books or whatever. So I was like, hey, why don't you check this thing out? He's like, oh, this would be perfect. Can you please send me this? So I was like, yes. So he used it for a year, and then so he told me I should sell it on Teachers Pay Teachers. So I did some changes, some of revisions, and I put it up and created Classroom Composers in 2019. So that's just a little bit of the backstory behind Corno Companion. So now here we are today, four years later, We've had several revisions of our Corno Companion books and expanded it to what it is today. And before we deep dive into the book, we want to talk about the research and educational theories that are founded in this book. And I think one thing that's kind of frustrating about, at least for me, is when being a music teacher is that like you're the one teacher at your school that's that's music. Or maybe you're one of, I don't know, two or one of three, or I guess if you're in Texas, maybe one of like 20. But still, like like you're certainly like the minority there. And so I'm sure that every single listener has sat in some sort of required professional development that doesn't apply to music. 
I uh, can remember early on in my teaching career, I had to go to actually a math PD because I had to do this to clear my credential or something. And uh, while it didn't really apply to me, I actually found the professional development kind of interesting. And I took away one main lesson for this from this math professional development. And the one main lesson was, you want the kids doing more work than you. And I was like, whoa, like, like being a band teacher or a string teacher or like even a choir teacher for for that matter. I feel like we're in front of the kids all the time. And we're the ones doing all the work. And we're like, no, like fix this, do this, do that. And the thought of having the kids do more work than us was like, was kind of mind blowing to me. Like I thought that that was impossible. Yeah. So um, we thought about that for a while and we tried to see how we could apply that to teaching music. So since we're in front of our groups all day, direct teaching and how can we fix that? So we thought about all the educational theories that we learned in college and about why our students cannot sight read and put some of those ideas together. So the big theory that I landed on is something called Bloom's Taxonomy. And this is the guiding research and principle behind the Cardinal Companion series. And Bloom's Taxonomy is probably something that you learned about in your credential program. And I, I encourage you to do a Google search on this because I think that like, there's a really good visual with like a pyramid and it really explains these things well. But basically what Bloom's Taxonomy says is that there's six different levels. And the first level is the lowest level task. Whereas the highest, which which level six is the highest level task, and that requires more mastery to complete a level six task than a level one task. So the the, uh, the first level is remember, the second level is understand, the third level is apply, fourth level is analyze, fifth level is evaluate, and the sixth level and top level is create. Remembering is the most basic task, and create is the most complex task. Instrumental music teachers. We spend a lot of our time teaching apply and remember tasks. Apply is third level task and remember is first level task. So these are, in the grand schemes of Bloom's taxonomy, simple tasks. And so by not asking the students to analyze, evaluate, and create, which are level four, five, and six, we are not really requiring the students to do any higher level thinking. This basically creates students that are merely capable of applying remembered fingerings and remembering notation symbols. And they can just basically do that, but they don't really have a deeper understanding of how music works. So I thought about that and I created the Corno Companion Method series, which is designed to reinforce all levels of Bloom Taxonomy and specifically targets the analyze, evaluate, and create tasks, because we have if we have students doing more of those, they're going to have a much deeper understanding of music. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the six tasks, and we're going to talk about some things that you would do in your classes that would apply to these tasks. First step is remember. Most of us do this in our classes already. Recall facts and basic concepts, define, duplication, list, memorize, repeat, state, these are tasks such as memorizing fingers, terms, notations, basic recall of information. Music teachers are guilty of only staying in remember. So that's the first level task. The second level task is to understand. This is explaining ideas and concepts such as classify, describe, discuss, explain, identify, locate, recognize, report, select, and translate. This is much less often done in class. Some examples um, in music class would be explaining concepts to others or to the class or locating errors in student performance and talking about it. The next is apply. Use information in new situations. Execute, implement, 
solve, use, demonstrate, interpret, operate, schedule, sketch. Music teachers probably have the second most amount of time in this category. This is when we encounter new concepts in the method books or in pieces of sheet music. Students implement their old knowledge of fingerings, tone production, and notation reading to play new music. And the top three tasks, so those are the first three, these are not really used in a typical ensemble class, and I find that these are a little bit more aligned, say, with a music theory class. So step four is the analyze step, which is to draw connections among ideas. Some examples are differentiate, organize, relate, compare, contrast, distinguish, examine, experiment, question, and test. And common music applications of these would be error, error detection in both aural music and written music. The next is evaluate. Justify a stand or decision, appraise, agree, defend, judge, select, support, value, or critique. This one is tough to apply to music ensemble class. Yeah, because I think this would be more kind of like if we're like listening to music and we're like discussing it. So this is, you know, this is probably like stuff where you're probably doing in music history class in college. The last level is level six. This is the create, which is produce new or original work. This is to design, assemble, construct, conjecture, develop, formulate, author, and investigate. And in music, this is usually seen as composing, which makes sense because in uh, the typical, I'd say the typical narrative of Western music history, we tend to place the composers at the top of, I guess you should say, like the hierarchy of Western musicians, which makes sense that composers would be the hierarchy or the top of the hierarchy of Bloom's taxonomy. So... That's the main research behind it. So now we're going to talk about the Corner Companion Method series. It includes five different books, and these all target the six different levels of Bloom's taxonomy. Okay, and those are a basic overview of Bloom's taxonomy and how they would be applied to a music class. So let's dive into the Corner Companion. And there's five different things with this, and we're going to start off with the method book first. So the method book covers remember, understand, and apply tasks, teaches posture, tone production, instrument assembly, note reading, terms, and etudes. We gradually introduce notation and reinforce notation, and concepts are introduced slowly. And so uh, with this method book, this is going to be probably similar to uh, some of the other method books out there, like Accident Achievement, Essential Elements, Sound Innovations. But what sets this one apart is that this one moves at a slow pace. And what I've tried to do is I've tried to take some of those rote concepts that you might already be doing in your class and gradually introduce them with this book. Because like I know that, for example, with with a lot of the method books out there, they'll start with whole notes. And the first A2 will be whole note for four counts. And then whole rest for four counts, whole note for four counts, whole rest for four counts. And I've started that way. And and what it kind of turns into is that like, you think that like that's like the first thing that like you do. So like you spend time going all going going all over these fingerings, going all over like how to make a sound and stuff. You go over all of these terms and then you're like, all right, let's play the first etude. And basically what you're doing is you're just having the kids play until you yell stop. All right, do it again. Play. Stop. All right, do it again. And so they're not really like actually like processing music because everything's just kind of thrown at them. So what we've been trying to do with this book is just everything is just step by step. And we try and tackle one thing at a time. So there's a whole page on let's build our instrument. There's a whole page on let's 
hold our instrument. There's a whole page on instrument maintenance. So they know, like clarinets know how to like deal with their reeds and how to swab their instruments. And brass players know how to do valve oil and stuff like that. And then like the first page where they're actually like reading music is just there's only one note on that page. And there's only like three etudes on that page. And they're all really, really, really simple so that we can really focus on just doing one thing at a time rather than be like, all right, let's explain exactly how music notation works and do this. Something else I think that sets our method book uh, apart from the others is that it's interesting for the students. Um, I feel like a lot of other method books are outdated and don't really have interesting names for the etudes and just seem kind of old. And we try to keep it interesting for our students to want to play this random etude because it has a cool name or a little picture next to it that gets their attention. Yeah, right. Instead of it being like, all right, let's play etude number seven. It's like, no, let's go play Blasting Off. And they'd rather play Blasting Off than Etude Number 7. And it sounds kind of silly, but that's actually something that the kids actually do look forward to uh, to playing. They're like, oh, I want to play Mississippi Road Race rather than like Etude Number 37. Mm-hmm. So one other thing that I think is, is very uh, convenient about this, and this is going to be uh, touching back on the $10 method book point, is that in today's days and age where we have to provide everything, are you going to have a class set of like essential elements books? I mean, I mean, maybe you do already, but with this, it's just you buy it once. There's the PDF. We put it in the Google Classroom for the kids. So if they forget, they can go on their Chromebooks and they can access it. We, we have a print shop in our district, so we just have them print off packets and we just give the kid their packet. They put it in their binder and it's just it's a lot simpler rather than having to be like, all right, who bought the book? oh, we can't start teaching our lesson until everybody buys the book. And this way, it just works a lot easier. Well, and it being a packet, if it's in the student's three-ring binders, whereas a method book, I know a lot of people have problems of students losing it because it doesn't fit in their binder or they might forget it. And it's already, you know, our book is already there in their binder ready to go. Right. So that's our method book. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. What I think is the most important thing about the Corona Companion series is not the method book, but it's the other four books that are designed to supplement this. And so we're going to talk about the first book designed to supplement this, and this is uh, the rhythm book. And what the rhythm book is, is the rhythm book is designed to apply tasks as rhythms are meant to be sight read with little teacher support. Each page of the rhythm book aligns with the method book. So therefore, for example, rhythm page number three is going to support the rhythms found in page three in the method book and so on. So they work hand in hand together and they introduce the same concepts. Just the rhythm book is solely rhythm and reinforces that stuff in the method book. The rhythms are unpredictable, and it looks kind of like snare drum music. So you can kind of do this in a few ways. You can, like what we do is we have them play it it all on one pitch. You can alternate pitches. You can play it as like a scale or as like an exercise, but basically just kind of looks like snare drum music. So we use our rhythm book in class by doing it every day. We do three of the exercises. So they're labeled A, B, C, and so on. So we'll say, okay, tomorrow we're on A, B, and C. And uh, first of all, the students, they get kind of funny with it. They try to come up with a little saying for like A, B, and C (laughs) or D, E, and F. And and then um, they try to make a game of it. So if one person messes up one of the rhythms, we have to start over until it's right. And so it's really kind of a, a way to get them excited about playing rhythms and getting them accurate because they don't want to be the one to mess up in front of the class. So it's it's kind of fun, actually, to get them going. And 
I even sometimes have kids say the rest out loud. So we'll be playing and they say rest. And so keeps us on track and not messing up on the rhythms. Yeah. And I think just the last point on the rhythm book is that it's important that you keep further ahead in your rhythm book than you are in the method book, because we want to have the kids see the new rhythms in isolation versus experience them for the first time in the method book. So we might be on page four of the rhythm book while we're on page three of the method book. So when they get to that new concept, like, oh, I've seen an eighth note already. Oh, I've seen a half note or I've seen this rest or this like time signature. So that's what I think some of the real power of the coordinate companion lies. All right, so let's move on to our theory book. So our theory book uses the analyze and create tasks. Each theory lesson supports what is being taught in the method book. So again, it supports like we were talking about page three of the method book, page three of the theory book would correlate with that. It reinforces note reading, finger diagramming, rhythm counting, air detection, transcribing, and composition. Other activities include comprehension pages for instrument parts, instrument assembly, armature formation, tone production, posture, and instrument maintenance. So the way that we use our theory book is that we usually start the year off actually with the theory book. The first few lessons are designed to reinforce things like Here's how I put my instrument together. So there's like a worksheet where they have to match the parts. There's fill in the blanks of how to of how to put the instrument parts together. There's a worksheet on tone production where they have to describe how to make a good tone. There's a worksheet on posture where they have to talk about good posture. So we'll use those hand in hand with the method book because the method book only has information pages about, okay, like here's how to hold the instrument. Here's how to sit with good posture. And so they have to read through that and find the answers in the theory book. And then also, like Jessica was saying, each page of the theory book correlates with a page in the method book. So we want them to be, once again, ahead in the theory book. So for example, if we're on method book page number five, they need to be on theory book page number six because they've experienced the concepts already. And now it's time for them to be able to put that in into action in method book page number five. In the theory book, we have a lesson, but we also have an independent pr- practice page. So how we apply this is uh, I've come up with the term Theory Thursday, which some students actually really enjoy, but there's a few that, of course, don't. So I, mm-hmm. I love saying today's Theory Thursday, and then we spend about the last 30 minutes of class working on our theory books. Yeah, and it, it's all independent. They have the method book with them, and it's just mainly they have to read and they have to go through it on their own. And I'll tell you what, this is kind of the first year where I've kind of basically done, like, I'm going to say no teaching on this, but I'm going to say no direct instruction where I'm just like, all right, it's Theory Thursday, I get I get your stuff going. And for the most part, they did a good job on it. And they all completed the book. And it was really a, a successful. And I say this kind of brings it back to that point. I was talking about that math PD. This is an example of when the kids are doing more than you are. And so uh, what we would do is like when the kids finished a page, they'd they'd bring it up to me, I I would check it more often than not, it was correct. If it was incorrect, that's, that's obviously when, when, when we had to do like one-on-one teaching with the kids to make sure that, that they understood the concept, but it was really good this year. And the beauty behind the theory book is that this book is the one book that will tackle those higher level Bloom's taxonomy tasks. This has some analyzed music and this has some create music as well. There's several composition exercises in here and it takes us from playing the band instrument to 
pen and paper, or excuse me, pencil and paper. This is band class or string class, pencil and paper. And this is something that's going to get that higher level thinking going. And it's really cool when the students are working on their mini compositions because it will say on the page to, you know, get out your instrument and try playing this. And so they really get into it and try to play, you know, play what they're actually writing. Yeah. And one final point that Jessica said about the instrument is that these books are all instrument specific. So it's not like those theory books where like a trombone player is learning treble clef first and then they're learning bass clef or like a flute player is learning bass clef. It's like, no, like the first note you're going to learn in the theory book is a note on your actual instrument. And it's got sections where you have the diagram fingerings and it's got like the flute fingering diagram and the clarinet fingering diagram. And so that's another strength of this is that it actually teaches the kids skills that they need on their band instruments. It gets tubas going right away, like on ledger lines. So, so that's something that a lot of theory books don't don't have. The next we have is sight reading, which uses apply and evaluate. There are unpredictable and tonal etudes to be sight read in here. Each page matches the pacing in the other books. And then students must apply though understand knowledge into new context for this. So the way that this works is that this one it's like Jessica said, it follows the pacing of the method book in order. But this one, we actually have this one trail the method book a little bit. So we usually start this maybe towards the end of the first semester, if not start it right at the beginning of the second semester. Because what it says on each page is it says you are not allowed to write on this page. I know that sometimes at the beginning, and I know a lot of teachers have different thoughts about this because like to write their notes in, but this we just make it explicit. You cannot write your notes in if your teacher that like allows that or you allow them to circle. It's like, no, pencils don't touch this page. And this really builds up their sight reading abilities. And like Jessica was saying, this applies that knowledge. But then at the end, they have to evaluate their uh, performance, which is, a, which is a higher level Bloom's taxonomy task. So how we actually use this in our class is um, we have the students use their Chromebooks because we are one to one at our schools. So they share a Chromebook with their stand partner. They put it on the music stand. And they just read directly from their Chromebook. And that way we know they aren't writing anything in their music because it's on the computer. And it also saves paper and that task of having to print it. Yeah. And because because all these books are PDFs. So we could we, we just drop in the Google Classroom and, you know, it's there for them to use. So what we do is we go over four of these sight reading etudes a day. And the way that I kind of preface it with with the students is I say, hey, like this is sight reading and there's a whole page on this uh, that uh, you can read the kids that explains what sight reading is and what the importance of it is. So we read that page with the students and this book uses what's called the sale method, which is I'm, I'm going to call a pre stars method for those of you that are that that are familiar with stars. My main issue with stars with the beginning band is that things like key signatures and stuff and all those symbols, they don't really necessarily know what those mean yet. So sale is a kind of a pre-stars method that I created. And what sale stands for is the S stands for scan all symbols. The A stands for analyze rhythms and rests. The I stands for identify note names. And the L stands for listen in your head. So an application we want the students to scan the symbols and think what symbols do they recognize. We want them to analyze the rhythms and rest. We want them to identify the note names in their heads. And then we want to see if they, if they can hear it in their head before they play. 
So in class, we'll say, okay, we're doing exercise A right now. You have 15 seconds. You're going to sail this song, and then we're going to play it. And you're only going to get one shot at it. And then we're going to grade ourselves based on how well that we did. And then we, we do that same thing for four of the etudes a day. And I found that that works pretty well with the kids to get them confident in their sight reading. Yes, and it starts out very basic, you know, one, two notes at a time. And so it really just builds up their confidence in learning the etudes. Yeah, and it follows the pacing of the method book. So if, if you have the sight reading book trail the method book a little bit, then they've seen those symbols before and they're able to confidently sight read those symbols. And like if you've ever done any of the sight reading competitions, at least in California, typically you're sight reading a grade below what you were performing. So if you're performing a grade two work or whatever for your festivals, you're sight reading a grade one work. And so it's kind of the same uh, concept with this. You want the sight reading book to trail that. And we've got one more book in the series, which is the Corral book. And this has apply and evaluate tasks. And what the uh, goal of the Corral book is, is that there are several aspects of music that are not explicitly implied. And the Corral book is designed to work on some of those things. So these are things like balance, blend, part importance, phrasing, and intonation. Nowhere really in our music does the music ever talk about those five things. Like there's not really a symbol that talks about blending or balance. Phrasing, I guess there's breath marks and slurs and phrasing marks, but like a lot of this stuff is kind of implied and you have to do music for several years to really master those things. So the crowd book is designed as a beginning level support for those types of more mature concepts. And the crowd book talks about why these things are important and what students should be listening for when they're performing. So it really gets them thinking and applying this stuff like blend and balance when they're performing the etudes. Yeah, right. So the uh, crowd book, it follows the pacing. So page number one of the crowd book will match what's being taught and page number one of the method book and so on. Page number 11 will follow page number 11 in, in the method book. So the first crowds, they're all the same rhythms. And we just work about blend for the first few pages there. And it's all whole notes and half notes. And there's no, I guess, a contrasting parts. And then after blend, we, we, we move to balance. And then that's when we start introducing, okay, the melody lines playing quarter notes against whole notes in the bass line. And we talk about, all right, which part is going to be more important here? Which part's more interesting here? So everything is goes step by step by step by step. So by the end of the crowd book, they have an idea about how to properly blend and the part is important. And also we talk about phrasing and the beginning steps of intonation as well. And uh, we find that the students actually really like doing the corrals. You know, normally this stuff's kind of boring for them, the stuff that we find important, but they don't <laughs> really like doing. But they, they ask me all the time. They can't wait to do the corral so, um, because they think it sounds cool. So if that's all it takes is it sounds cool, then that's great because they're learning a lot. Yeah, and the crowd book is something also that we have trail the method book a little bit. So we might be on page number seven of the method book when we just start page uh, number one of the crowd book just to... Make sure that they have confidence in reading the required notation before they actually start applying some of those things. Because if you expect the kids to understand part importance when they don't understand their fingerings yet, well, like, you know, like that's like a losing battle. So like uh, with this entire chord note uh, companion 
method series. It's all about just doing one thing at a time. And once you've mastered that one thing, then moving up the level of Bloom's taxonomy. Because you master something, okay, now you can remember it. But now you want to apply those things to different contexts. So like you learn a rhythm, now you need to apply it to the method book. Now you need to apply it and being able to diagram it in the theory book. And now you need to be able to sight read it. And now you need to be able to understand that your whole note rhythm is not as important as your neighbor's quarter note rhythm. So everything, we just try and go one step at a time and uh, ultimately move the kids from the remember tasks all the way up to where they're creating small level compositions for their own instruments. And all of these books are, like Kevin said, designed to work together. And I know that's really important because so often teachers are spending a lot of time looking through different rhythm books or different method books and pulling parts from here, or parts from there to try to get everything they need to make a whole curriculum. And this is all designed to work together. Yeah. And it was originally designed, uh, the original method book was designed for a pull-up band class. However, we use this with our sixth graders, which is a middle school class uh, that we see every single day. And this works really well with our middle schoolers, too. It actually probably works better with our middle schoolers than it does with with our pullout fourth and fifth grade band kids. And so it works in all sorts of situations with the beginning musicians. And we found that the kids are much further along than they would if we were just using one of the other method books. And the level ones are designed if you have a middle school class every day, it's designed to get you through a whole semester. So ideally, you'd be moving on to level two in the spring semester. Yeah, yeah, which is what we do. We get them going with level two in the spring semester. So if if you're interested in taking a look at this, it's on our Teachers Pay Teachers store, which is www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers. We also have a free scope and sequence on there, too. If you go on the left-hand side of the store, you'll see free. It's a category free, and it, and if you scroll down, it, sh- it should be one of the top downloaded items. And you can take a look at our scope and sequence. And uh, what we've done is we've done the backwards planning for you. We've done a scope and sequence for first-year elementary bands. So th- for us, that'd be fourth graders. Second-year elementary band, for us, that would be our fifth graders, And then we've done a scope and sequence for the first year of middle school band. So for us, that would be sixth graders. And what what we've done is we've broken everything down into weeks. We've given you goals for each week of what you need to be doing. And we've given you a correlating coordinate companion method book and theory book pages that you should be following too. So if you're interested in just kind of taking a look at the scope and sequence and that we've backwards planned and reverse engineered the entire school year for you. So you can take a look at that. And it's low risk because it's free. So we want to thank our super producer, Tammy, for helping us out with this. And please join our Facebook group. We have a group to continue this conversation. If you have more questions, or you want to comment on any of our podcasts, please join that just type in the first six notes on in the Facebook group area. And be sure to like and subscribe and rate us. And as always, thank you for teaching music and keep inspiring. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, share it with a friend, connect with us on Instagram, and check out the show notes. And while you're at it, check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers and our website at classroomcomposers.com. Until next time, keep inspiring.